0: You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit, of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So, if you have your Uversion apps, you'll want to get them. There's going to be a lot of reading this morning, so we're going to have to really work at staying together as I offer what may come off as somewhat strange in the very beginning of our conversation here. My hope is that this will be a conversation that it'll, insp- that it'll spark conversation between you and other people who are here with you, and at the very least between you and the Lord, but, but I hope between you and others who are here. Um, so the YouVersion app, if you want to go ahead and grab it, please do. Here's how we begin. Every people has a story. Every tongue, tribe, and nation has an explanation as to how the world was made. There's this deep longing inside every person that wants to understand the nature and purpose of life. It is the question that has confounded philosophers for the ages. We want to know where does life come from? Where's it going? We want to know how we got here. So every nation long before Israel had their own creation story. What I want to do this morning is I want to share with you two creation stories One from the nation of Babylon, the story that Babylon would tell about itself and about the world in which Babylon found itself, and then I want to tell you the Canaanite creation story, the story that Canaanite told, that Canaan told about itself and how it came into the world and how the world is supposed to work. And then what you're going to see is if you pay close attention to what I'm trying to offer, you'll catch... The names of some of the Canaanite gods and the Babylonian gods in the scriptures that we read as Israel tried to live out of its own creation story. What I don't want to do today is for your mind to circle into a debate of the how and the what and the days and the literal pieces of that. Receive the story. And know that there are peoples and have been peoples and are people today who see these stories as their origin story. Because our origin story forms our vision for how we understand humanity supposed to be and work. Right? So, the Babylon creation narrative. In the beginning, there was a battle between the gods. The older powers, led by a god named Tiamat, who was the creature of the wild and powerful sea, were, leading, were threatening to lead an attack to annihilate the younger gods. Now, let me pause just for a quick moment. When you hear the word sea in any ancient Near Eastern text, and when you hear the word sea in your Bibles, when the psalmist says God is the God of the sea, the, the psalmist is not saying the vast waters. Sea was a symbol of all of the chaos and power of the world. Does that make sense? I mean, because if you're at sea and you get attacked by the storm and the waves, that's an uncontrollable thing. You need a God to help you, right? So when the psalmist says God is the God of the sea, he is saying God is the all-powerful one over even the chaos. So he's not thinking literal sea. He's thinking about the sea, but he's trying to turn our imaginations toward the chaos. Are you with me? All right, so that's rooted in ancient Near Eastern thought that would would assume that if the sea is this powerful creative force, there must be a god in and of the sea. Loch Ness Monster, anybody? Tiamat, for the Babylonian story, is that god. So, the younger gods, they catch word of this, and they're greatly frightened. They're disturbed. And so they choose among them a warrior named Marduk. And Marduk is the god of thunderstorms. And he's going to be their champion. And so the opposing forces meet... Marduk challenges Tiamat to single combat. The fight is on. Tiamat and Marduk engage in this single combat. Marduk spreads his net, encompassing her. Tiamat conjures a raging storm and wind. And when Tiamat opens her mouth to devour Marduk, Marduk drives the raging storm and the wind into Tiamat's body. And Tiamat's body gets congested and swells. And Tiamat can no longer close Tiamat's mouth. And so Marduk takes an arrow, fires it into Tiamat, mouth into Tiamat's belly splits Tiamat's intestines splits Tiamat's heart splits Tiamat apart and destroys and kills and gnashes and extinguishes Tiamat's life Marduk's victory saves the gods and this victory has eliminated the rival and out of this victory Marduk opens the way To create the cosmos, the stars and the sun and the moon. To create and bring order to the cosmos. And after all of the creation has been formed and made, the gods grow weary. And so they create humanity out of the violence and the blood. And they create humanity to serve them as slaves. To tend to the creation they have made because they are weary of tending it. And humanity serves at the pleasure of the gods and to appease them with their lives as their servants and as their slaves. And Marduk remains the chief god of Babylon. The chief god of the Babylonian nation. That's the Babylonian creation narrative, Cliff Notes version. We're all familiar with Canaan and Canaan's place in the biblical story. They too had a creation story, and their creation story goes like this. But before I share it, I want to remind you, listen closely to the names of the gods in this creation story because you will recognize them in your Bibles just so you don't think I'm making something up that Marvel or DC just wrote. All right, so Yom, who is spelled Y-A-M, I always want to call Yom Yam, because I don't like Yams, so it makes sense for me. But Yom, Yom is the seven-headed sea god. And Yom is the seven-headed sea god demands that the god Baal, anybody familiar with Baal in scripture? Yeah, Baal, to be made a slave. So he sends messengers To Baal asking him to surrender but Baal instead attacks the messengers and drives them away and then Baal fights with Yom using two magic weapons defeats him and seizes control of the waters because Yom is this representative of the destructive nature of the waters the rivers and seas and the flooding of the land that ruins crops crops and Baal Represents the water's positive powers, the rain and the dew. Baal is the god that makes the crops grow in the Canaanite divine story. So after conquering Yom, Baal complains that he had no house like the other gods did, now that he's this victory god. So El, you familiar with El in in the scripture? El, another god, agrees to let the crafts god Kothar build Baal a fine house. And when it's finished, when it's finished, Baal wants to hold a great feast. But the problem is that Baal didn't invite Mott, who was another god, the god of death. And so Mott, the god of death, was offended that Baal didn't want to invite him to the party. Personally, sidestep, I don't blame Baal for not inviting the god of death to his party. And I'm not, probably not going to end well. Right? It'd be a bummer. <laughs> so Mott, insulted by this lack of invitation, invites Baal to the underworld for dinner. And although he's afraid, Baal realizes he cannot refuse the invitation. And the food that is served at Mott's table is mud, which is the food of death. And when Baal unwittingly eats it, Baal becomes trapped in the underworld. And while Baal is trapped in the underworld, the creation as it stands is undergoing famine. Famine strikes all of creation and El wants to create hope and flourishing, get creation back in order, El places her son on the throne. Her son's name, you may be familiar, is Asherah. Remember that in scripture? Asherah. Asherah is actually the lady, not male, the lady of the sea. Convinces El to give Baal's throne... To Asherah's daughter, Ashtar, Ashtar is the god of irrita- irrigation, not irritation, irrigation, sits on the throne, but realizes that his stature on the throne isn't as powerful as Baal. And so Ashtar gives up the throne. And once again, the world is in chaos. Meanwhile, Baal, his wife, who happens to be a sister, who's the fierce goddess of travels to the underworld engages in battle with Mott, splits Mott in two, defeats Mott, brings Mott to to the earth and grounds his body into a mill and spreads his body and blood all across the ground. And these actions, out of the blood of a dying God comes the resurrection of Baal, back to life. But then also, Mott comes back to life. And the two gods then engage in a battle. And the sun goddess separates them, and Baal gets gets the throne again, and the creation becomes fertile again, and Baal begins the work of recreating all things, and then out of this violence and death and blood and all these gods and their rivalries and confusion comes humanity, because once again the gods are tired of tending their creation, and so they create humanity to be their slaves. And that's how the Canaanite people understood themselves. shared these two stories with you as random as they seem to help you see the difference between these stories and the Hebrew creation story as it is told see these two creation stories are grounded in rivalries and conflict between gods they're grounded in violence and fear and death they're grounded in this conflict That brings about chaos, that through this chaos leads to violence, that eventually leads to the creation of the world, that eventually leads to the creation of humanity. And in almost all of these ancient Near Eastern creation stories, creation is inherently flawed, and the chaos and rivalries of that creation remains. And that's how they explain the violence of humanity. Now what you and I may forget is that the Israelites are living their lives with these two stories in their own imaginations. They know these stories. And they know the contrast of the Babylonian and Canaanite story with their own. And over and against these ancient origin stories is theirs. Where the God of Israel creates without rival, without the chaos, without the violence and the conflict, declares the creation good rather than inherently chaotic and bad, and then creates humanity to join God in the work of tending the creation rather than making humanity slaves. It's a stark contrast between the creation story, and why does that matter? Here it is, the big idea of the whole thing today. All of the other creation stories gradually lead humanity to increased independence and self-serving power, but the Hebrew creation story gradually leads humanity to increased dependence. And self giving love, and that becomes the difference of the stories so. Here's the problem. We're going to read Genesis. And the problem with reading Genesis is that we're all too familiar with the story. It's been the subject of debates, goodness gracious, over what is and what isn't, seven literal days, Darwin, big bangs, intelligent design. And we've lost the poetry and the beauty of the creation story that is the Genesis story that is told. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is try to step away from your over-familiarity with this story and catch a theme in this story that is significant to our conversation. The theme of the creation story in Genesis is that and every day that passes, God is gradually leading all of creation to increased dependence. Everybody say dependence. Amen. Increased dependence upon God and upon its own self. Are you with me? And that's a different story. So, here's what I mean. Genesis 1, verse 1. Follow with me. When God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was without shape or form. It was dark. Over the deep sea. There's the chaos in the beginning. And God's spirit. Sweeps over those waters. And God speaks. Let there be light. And light appears. God sees how good the light was. God separates the light from the darkness. God names the light day. And the darkness night. There was evening. And there was morning. And that becomes the first day. So there there in the beginning beloved in the beginning the world is without form it's empty it's unfilled it's unformed there's chaos and disorder and God enters into that chaos rather than creates it and out of that chaos brings order out of that lifelessness and desolation brings life And on the first day light is formed and light's necessary Because it reveals the things being set in order of creation. Without light, we can't see. Without seeing, we can't know. Without the light, we don't know what's happening in all of the world. Without light of day, life of all kinds from plants and trees and living things can't be nurtured and nourished. We need the light. And so, verse 6. God said, let there be a dome in the middle of the waters to separate the waters from each other. God made the dome and separated the waters under the dome from the waters above the dome. And it happened in that way. God named the dome sky. There was evening and there was morning the second day. See what's happening? On the second day, what's formed? The sky. Moving God's creation now to increase dependence. Without the sky, there is no height. Without the expanse, the light can't illuminate. Without the light, there is no sky. Without the sky, there is no place for the sun, no place for the moon, no place for the stars. Without the sky, there's no sunshine or rain to nurture the earth. What is created on the second day is dependent on what was created the day before, and what will be created the next day is dependent upon everything that has been created. Verse 9. God said, let the waters under the sky come together into one place so that the dry land can appear, and that's what happened. God named the dry land earth, and he named the gathered water seas. God saw how good it was. God calls the seas good. God said, let the earth grow plant life, planting plants yielding seeds and fruit trees bearing fruit with seeds inside it, each according to its own throughout the earth. And that's what happened. The earth produced plant life, plants yielding seeds, Each according to its own kind. Trees bearing fruits with seeds inside it. Each according to its own kind. God saw how good it was. There was evening and there was morning the third day. So what happens on the third day, beloved, is the third day the dry land is formed. Along with the seas and the plants and the trees. Moving God's creation to increased dependence. Without dry land... Where can creation live? Without seas, how can creation grow? Without plants and trees, how can creation breathe? What is created on the third day is dependent upon what was created the days before. And what will be created in the next day will be dependent upon everything else. And so it unfolds. Verse 14. God said, let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night. They will mark events. Sacred seasons, days and years. They will be lights in the dome of the sky to shine on the earth. And that's what happened. God made the stars into great lights. The larger light to rule over the day and the smaller light to rule over the night. God put them in the dome of the sky to shine on the earth. To rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. God saw how good it was. There was evening and there was morning the fourth day. So beloved, what happens on the fourth day? The sun, the moon, and the stars are formed, moving God's creation to increase dependence. Without the sun, moon, and stars, how would we know the difference between day and night? How would we keep time? How would we know the seasons and the beauty each season brings? What is created this day is dependent upon all that was created before. And what will be created the next day will depend upon all that has been created. Do you see the theme? So God said in verse 20, Let the water swarm with living things and let birds fly above the earth up in the dome of the sky. God created the great sea animals and all the tiny living things that swarm in the waters, each according to its own kind, and all the winged birds, each according to its own kind. God saw how good it was. Then God blessed them. Be fertile and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. There was evening and there was morning the fifth day. So now what? On the fifth day, beloved, the air, the creatures of the air and the sea were formed, moving God's creation to greater increased dependence. Without these creatures, how would the ecosystem survive? And thrive. Birds and fish are the links between ecosystems, moving nutrients from one habitat to another. Without these creatures, how would humanity survive and thrive? What is created this day is dependent upon what was created before, and everything that is created the next day will depend upon all that has been created. Do you see the theme? God said, verse 24, Let the earth produce every kind of living thing, livestock, crawling things, and wildlife. And that's what happened. God made every kind of wildlife, every kind of livestock, every kind of creature that crawls on the ground. God saw how good it was. Animals that live on land are formed. Moving God's creation to increase dependence. where each part of creation depends upon another. Bringing together the perfect habitat the perfect dwelling place for God's crown jewel of creation, humanity. Verse 26, then God said, let us make humanity in our image. It's the only thing God created in God's own image in the entire creation story. Let us make humanity in our own image to resemble us. So that they may take charge, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds, the air, the livestock, all the earth, and all the crawling things on earth. God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image, God created them. Male and female, God created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fertile and multiply, fill the earth. Take over it. Subdue it. Subdue it means rule over it. Rule over it in the biblical language means tend to it. It doesn't mean dominate it. It means tend to it. Take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and everything crawling on the ground. Then God said, I now give you all the plants on the earth that yield seeds and all the trees whose fruit produces all the seeds within it. These will be your food to all wildlife, to all the birds in the sky, and to everything crawling on the ground, to everything that breathes. I will give all the green grasses for food. And that's what happened. Verse 31, God saw everything he had made and it was supremely good. There was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. The problem with that story is we're too familiar. If we read it slowly in all of its tedious details, you'll see a theme of dependence. You'll see this unfolding theme of God's intention. Beloved, God's intention from the very first story in our Bibles is to demonstrate and show to us that all of creation is dependent upon God's goodness, of God's divine love, of God's divine power. All of creation hinges upon God's presence and God's care. And yet what we see is over and over again what plays out in Scripture. Instead of moving humanity toward increased dependence, which is what God is doing, humanity grasps for independence. I want you to think about it for a minute. Think about our bodies. When we are formed and we are are made and we come into this world, we're pretty dependent, right? I'm sure none of us, you know, on the first day of our birth came out and was like, Yo, anybody got a cup of coffee? Like we are totally dependent. And then as we grow, what happens? We grow into what we think is independence. And then as our bodies get old in age, what happens to our bodies? It leads us back to where we began, doesn't it? To what? Dependence. The life cycle of the creation story and the life cycle of the gospel story is to form a people who understand that God is moving us in every conceivable way toward greater dependence upon God and consequently greater dependence upon one another. But what we see happening in the biblical narrative is that when Israel begins to live life according to the older origin stories or to the different origin stories. Remember how in Israel there will come a famine and remember what gods they'll start appealing to? They'll appeal to who? Baal. The god of agriculture. Instead of waiting on the Lord, the people of Israel often trade in their origin story of greater dependence for the origin story of independence. And in creating a life of independence, that's where it always goes wrong for Israel. But when Israel embraces its story of greater dependence upon the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and therefore a story of dependence upon one another through acts of goodness and compassion and hospitality and generosity and love and justice among themselves, that is when the Bible tells us they actually experience peace. It is when the people of Israel move away from their origin story of increasing dependence into the origin stories of increasing independence that it becomes a problem for them. And the same is true for us. We live in a society that has declared its independence. And we somehow think that everything is about me. It's about my freedoms, my rights, my liberty my entitlements, my autonomy. And then if I get married, it becomes about my spouse, my family, my plans, my priorities, my good. And then if I have children, it becomes about my nuclear family, what's good for me and my family, my retirement account, my plans, my dreams, my vacation, my goals. It reminds me of that scene from Finding Nemo. Remember that scene? Those who've seen that provocative and riveting film. <laughs> where the, was it doves or seagulls? What are the birds? Mine, 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 mine. And they war against each other. And that is where our wars come from. Our warring with one another. Our verbal and physical and emotional violence comes from our declarations of Independence. Because when we read the creation story that is given to us in our Bibles that we claim to believe, the entire narrative is leading all of creation, especially humanity, into increased dependence, what we call divine dependence of self-giving love rather than divine independence of self-serving power. yet we somehow believe that there is this notion of autonomy and independence, that we genuinely are free of any kind of divine dependence or any kind of interdependence, our mutuality with the other. And the tragic irony of that belief, beloved, is what we call freedom actually becomes our captivity. Because now, if you, if Ariel threatens my independence, if I want to do me and he needs to do him, and if I want to speak my truth and his truth contradicts with my truth, or if I need to feel this way and feel safe this way, but he doesn't want to feel safe that way because he feels safe the other way, then he becomes my antagonism. He becomes my enemy. He becomes my rival. And we then divide. Because I want to do for me. And he wants to do for him. And we somehow think that that's okay. That somehow life is going to be sustained by that kind of origin story. But beloved, what I wanted to take time to do today is remind the people of God at Williamsburg Christian Church that our origin story is one of divine dependence. That leads to a kind of dependence upon one another. Think about it practically for a minute. Do we really live independently? I mean, really. We eat the food somebody else grew, somebody else farmed and cultivated that was transferred from somebody from one place to another, placed in some place like a store that that is run and and, and worked by other people who stand across an aisle and sell it to us and we purchase it and then we take it home to the people that we live with. If we do live with people, people that we didn't make, (laughs) people that we only enjoy because somebody else was involved, to enjoy the food that somebody else helped us get at a table that we sit at that we probably didn't build, unless we're Danny Poe. We didn't build the table. And all the while, we drove on paved roads that we did not pave, in vehicles that we did not create or design. We are intricately dependent upon one another. So then why? Do we somehow believe that we are so free that we can declare our independence? When the biblical narrative, by virtue of our baptism, reminds us of our declaration of dependence. That without God coming to do for us what we were incapable of doing for ourselves, we would be locked in our false narratives of a freedom and liberty. You want to know where the hierarchies and all the isms come from? Where the mask debate and the COVID debate and all the things that plague this world and bullets and bombs and lack of assistance and floods, where it all comes from? It comes from an origin story that is rooted in some kind of narrative that tells us we're all just moving along the line of independence. But what the biblical story does is it tells us that your well-being is actually tied to mine. And my well-being is connected to yours. And when we come to faith in Christ, because of our baptismal identity, our collective well-being is tied to the God of creation. The God of heaven and earth. Who created the ground that produces the food that we eat. Who created the people in his own image that we love and call friends. And sometimes even call enemies. I mean, think about it just practically, beloved. How did you come to know Jesus? Somebody told you. Somebody showed you. So we find this problem at work. We are a people who are created, designed, and wired literally in our brains for dependence and self-giving love, living in a society that is trying to tell us that we are better off pursuing some notion of independence. And anyone who threatens it becomes our rival, and that is when the chaos ensues, and that is when the violence comes, and that is when we kill the image of God in others. You and I are invited into a liberty that is far freer than any other liberty the world can offer but it seems counterintuitive, it seems counterproductive because it requires that I embrace you as me and me as you. And it requires that then you and I recognize we're actually not enough together and we need God. Because if we don't, we'll be like my grandmother used to say, A square peg in a round hole. When we try to live our lives that are wired for divine dependence and self-giving love in line with a story of independence, we are like square pegs in round holes. Trying to force and jam what doesn't belong. And all we end up doing is hurting ourselves. So the idea of my priorities and my well-being, my family, my friendships, my freedom, in light of the gospel of the kingdom of God is connected to yours. If you are not free, I am not free. If you are not well, I am not well. If you are poor, I am poor. If you are rich, I am rich. Because that is what God has done for us God, for our sake, became poor so that we might become rich, the scripture says. God did for us what we were incapable of doing for ourselves so that we would learn to love as he has loved. And so God, who wasn't human, became human to save the humanity that God loves and then tells us to do the same. If God is willing to stoop down into our space and into our suffering and into our joys and into our laughter and into our tears, And into our sorrows, then God is calling his people to do the same. Because our God is a triune God who, within God's own self, is community, and he's called us to the same. We are dependent upon God, and we are dependent upon one another. And we know it deep down in our bones. We know it functionally, practically, philosophically. We even want it somehow deep down in our bones. We don't want to be alone, deep down in our bones. Well, then, if that's the case, beloved, then let's live in accordance to our actual origin story. And let's learn how to let go of the false ones. And every week we do. Every week we come together, that's one thing we do. We're letting it go. And we're learning in doing so how to truly be free. How to truly be free. Sidebar, and then I'm, I'm done. I've said this the last few weeks. I look around this room in a worship gathering where we said masks are required. We have these screens up for us here. If I look around. There's not one person in this room who has dug a heel in and said, I'm not going to do it. Some of us in this room, we don't like them. We would rather not have them. Some of us even wonder if they even work. We all have opinions about them. But yet when we're together as a body of Christ, this is one thing we haven't had to contend with. You know why? Because you are recognizing and growing like I'm trying to grow. We are growing in an understanding of mutuality and dependence. And we say it every week. Love one another for God's sake. Guard one another's backs. Protect one another's confession, ethics, personal values that have come from the kingdom of God. Believe one another's motives. And sing one another's praises. Because we are a chosen race. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for God's possession to proclaim the mighty deeds of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Beloved, we are learning the story. Let us stay on the path the other six days of the week. Be mindful of the false origin stories you were invited into in social media spaces and in your workplaces and in your kitchen tables and hold on to the origin story that we call Christ.